शिला गुरुदेव की जय श्रीमान महाप्रभु की जय श्री हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जय घोर भक्त वृंद की जय घोर प्रेमानंद हरि हरि वो सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू वेरी हैप्पी टू बी अगेन joining in this series of lectures in this case continuing with our study of Vaishnava um, etiquette hmm? rules and love in the life of a sadhaka hmm? as you may know we are already we have already started with this series some um, i would say months ago or maybe weeks ago so today we are continuing it's our lecture number 12 hmm? and today we will continue speaking about what we started during our previous lecture which was the topic of diksha mantras nam japa and sankirtan so we already spoke a little bit about that last week we will make some brief summary and recap of that topic now and after that we will continue with some further points today so our last lecture that was on monday we began this chapter if you will of Vaishnava etiquette by speaking about diksha mantras mainly diksha mantras and a little bit about nam japa so we showed how ideally our diksha mantra sometimes called gayatri but strictly speaking as we shared why they will be called diksha mantras so they are to be invoked at least the very first uh, time we sing it during the day if we happen to be singing them three times a day according to one once on lines ideally that will be sung during the morning in the brahma mukhurta here we are trying also to to develop our points in the context of the daily schedule general daily schedule of a devotee from the morning when one is waking up till the night when one is going to bed so we are in the morning program if you will so of course again there will be different standards according to one's own lineage and guru how many times per day and different mantras and gayatris to be sung or not so in that case one should follow one's own gurudev for further clarity so ideally this should be done the invoking of diksha mantras in a sitting position after bathing as we already described after achaman after tilak facing eastern direction ideally or if you have of course the the altar in another direction facing the altar diksha mantras are to be chanted mentally to be invoked non verbally if you will so also we shared how to count them of course all this has to do with those who have already received diksha who for sure for sure they will already know how to do so by counting on the phalanxes of the right hand or if you have a pavita sacred thread how to do so generally 10 10 times each line but again there may be some variety and some um lineages or schools they may sing they may chant 12 times with the four the 12 phalanxes of these four fingers three times a day generally but sometimes again it may be different some schools will chant once a day in the morning twice a day during sunrise and sunset mm-hmm. but what we say is that if we in our particular lineage are to be chant chanting this diksha mantras twice a day ideally we should chant them in the three specific sandhyams of moments of the day and not necessarily all of them together in the morning because during midday 
or afternoon will be too busy for stopping everything and chanting. The very idea of chanting along the day is in, in one sense to stop whatever we may be doing so we can focus and again meditate about why we are doing what we are doing, for who we are doing what we are doing. So when chanting Diksha Mantras, of course, the idea is to be seated in the seated position. Try not to move yourself too much, but basically try not to do anything apart from concentrating on the mental vibration sound of the mantra and its meaning. So we shared some brief advice in that connection. Then we proceeded by sharing some ideas concerning Nam Japa, the chanting of Maha Mantra in the Japa Mala, in the beads in the rosary. Today we will continue with that, but we share some ideas. Uh, of course, we didn't enter into the details of Nam Mahima, or the glories of Srinam, or even about the glories of Diksha Mantras and their meaning. That will require a separate series of lectures. But of course, we've mentioned something about the importance of both. Diksha Mantras is there being for establishing or continue establishing, developing our relationship with Guru, Goranga, Radha and Krishna and so on. And Srinam, of course, being the Yuga Dharma, being the special dispensation of Mahaprabhu mm, through Parampara, descending directly from Golok, mm, Premadam, Harinam, Sankirtan. So we also emphasize that concerning etiquette regarding chanting Japa, an important point regarding inner attitude is to pay close attention to our quality, even above the quantity. Quantity will come as a byproduct of quality. But at, but at the same time, generally, we commit ourselves to some quantity in the context of trying to increase our quality again. We shouldn't rush trying to chant a big number of rounds without quality. Maybe we can begin with at least one round. And I quote Haridas Shastra in that connection. He said, at least, at least chant one round nicely. And someone will say, but only one round. So that means that he was not chanting very nicely that, that single round. <laughs> Sometimes each, every, any mantra should be chanted at least 10 times per day. Mm. One round is 108 times. So at least 10 times per day, he will say sometimes even. Not like trying to emphasize, but nicely, but perfectly, but attentively, putting everything there. Of course, that's not an excuse to chant as less as we can. If we are chanting nicely, we will want to chant more and more. So in the context of describing how to chant Japa also, we consider it important to first speak about how not to chant Japa. And we describe some obvious and maybe not so obvious in nowadays times ways of doing that, trying not to chant while whatever, checking social media, watching TV, speaking with other person, eating, sleeping, reading, being in a lecture, being in a kirtan, driving, riding bicycle, whatever. <laughs> try not to do that. Try not to do try not to chant Japa while doing any something else. That's the main point. Try to be only chanting only quote-unquote that's the all in all mm -hmm. and of course it's easier to do three times three more things doing multitasking while multitasking japa but the point is there is no japa whatsoever that gets more and more diluted the more layers of engagement we we add to it mm -hmm. of course we also mentioned the importance of knowing and avoiding nama parath mm -hmm. first of all we had to know them we didn't go into detail that may take too much time but i Trust that all of you know this Nam Parada, and if not, hopefully you can do it. You can learn by heart and not in a mechanical way, trying to express that in your daily practice. Also, we share the importance of not interrupting our rounds. If I'm chanting around, at least if I have to do something else, I have to finish the round, not to leave it just half completed. 
because it's an important service. We are performing service to Sri Guru and the Vaishnavas. Mm -hmm. Srila Prabhupada will say to chant the prescribed number of rounds that you committed yourself with your Guru is the most important service that a disciple has. So try to understand. It's important to understand this idea of Japa Seva because sometimes we may think Japa is one thing, service is another thing, Seva is another thing. And I'm chanting for doing service and we do not conceive chanting as service itself. So I will say even as much as you see Japa as Seva, you will be able to see other things as Seva. That's an important point, I think. As much as you are able to appreciate this chanting as devotional service, you will be able to extend that vision to whatever other things you will be able doing along the day. But that moment is specifically to enter into that particular mood of service, of being a servant, of praying for further service attitude and so on. So that's the moment, the condensed moment of the day of service, if you will, of seva. Of course, there will be another practical forms of service, so many. But again, for them to be conducted from the proper conception, this moment of japa is crucial along the day. Also, we spoke about pramada japa, or inattentive chanting. Already we mentioned something about that, but we should pay close attention to that. Remember, when you chant Harinam, you are inviting Radha Krishna as a guest. You are supposed to be the host. So how you should behave if some host comes to your house, we say, no, some, one thing is to unexpected host coming to your house, and you are not calling them. But in this case, you are calling them. They are not unexpected, so you are supposed to reciprocate accordingly. We gave the example of maybe your guru coming to your house, and you are not uh, basically attending him. You are just keep continuing watching TV and telling your wife to serve him a glass of water or whatever while you are speaking with him at times, but other times looking TV. So that's, of course, offensive. That's the type of opera. So we should be careful about how we are treating Srinam, how we are developing our sensitive relationship with this personality called Srinam, Sri Krishna, Sri Radha Krishna present in the most magnanimous way in the form of sound. Mm -hmm. So Japa is there, but also, also we mentioned, it's not to the point of dismissing the, the engagement in Sankirtan, in congregational chanting, and vice versa. Although Sankirtan is so important for us, it's not there to dismiss altogether the practice of Japa. We'll be speaking about Sankirtan in more detail in our next lecture, I hope. So try to focus that. In chanting, not necessarily in counting, but chanting, we are there not to reach a number and present a number at the end of our life to the Vishnu Dutas or Jamadutas, whoever may appear there. <laughs> but we are there to chant, not to count. And generally try to do that in a sober way. We mentioned ideally Japa is to be performing private not a public affair. Sankirtan is more of a public uh, sharing practice. Jabba has another particular complementary mood to it. Mm -hmm. Sanatana Goswami said that. Try to hide your malika, try to hide your istadep, try to have your mantra, try to keep that very confidentially churning in your heart, basically. Mm -hmm. So this is not that a public affair, less than a show and walking in the street showing how much I chant, how many rounds I chanted, or whatever. So, those were some of the issues we shared in our last meeting, and today we will continue in this same line, continuing some, some other, sharing some other advice, hopefully, that may nourish your chanting. So going back on this on track, in this connection, hmm, uh, how to chant. Japa should be ideally chant by keeping your Japa Mala, hmm, uh, maybe to your heart, you can chant it with your Japa Mala in your heart, or maybe like 
on, on your knees, but not be too much touching the floor, not too much below. And, you know, there is some particular way in this direction to, for it should be comfortable for you at the same time, hmm? but not in any form, if you will. No? So ideally you should, that a nice way is to keep Japamala nearby your heart, and you may be murmuring or mentally repeating the syllables of Srinam. Hmm? There are different types of chanting. I think we spoke a little bit last, last class about that. Sanatan Goswami <clears throat> describes them in, the, in his commentary to, to Hari Bhakti Vilas hmm? uh, regarding, well, actually Japa, he says in his commentary, is Upamsu. There are three types of chanting. Bachika Japa, Upamsu Japa, and Manasa Japa. Hmm? This is mentioned in Hari Bhakti Vilas. One should understand hmm, that chanting Japa is of three types. Bachika, which means verbal Japa, hmm, where you are pronouncing not loudly, but you can notice what the other person is saying. Bachika Japa. Upamsu means you are murmuring, like some whispering. Sometimes you can hear a little bit, but practically not too much. You can you are not able to ascertain what is being invoked. And Manasika Japa or Manasa Japa, which means you're chanting in your mind. You're basically your lips are not moving, if you will. So in his commentary, interestingly, Sanatana Goswami says, actual Japa is Upamsu. I mean, he's not dismissing the other two at all, as we, as we will see. And I don't want to get you too entangled into the technicality of it, just to know that these are these different ways of invoking them. So he says that Upamsu is Japa, strictly speaking, while loud Japa is equals to Kirtan, and mental Japa equals to meditation or to Smaran. Similarly, Rupa Goswami says something like this in his Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, 1249. He says, Mantrasya which means a very soft repetition of the mantra is called Japa. So there is some volume, Upamsu, there's no too high, there's no non volume at all, it's in between. So Upamsu goes more closely to the conception of Japa. But again, Sanatana Goswami describes three types of Japa. Bhajika, Upamsa, Manasa, and actually he mentions in his Jari Bhakti Vilas, each one is progressively superior than the previous one. The point, which is the point there? So we have this type, three types of chanting. Loudly, quote-unquote loudly, not shouting but loudly, audible, whispering, Upamsu, and mental. Actually Haridas Thakur, famous Namacharya of our Sampradaya, he used to chant three lakhs per day, which means three times 64 rounds, do not try to imitate at home. Uh, and he did say that he chanted each one of these lakhs in one of these three ways. One lakh Bachika Japa, one lakh Upamsu Japa, one lakh Manasa Japa. So also he's the Namacharya, so he's showing it's not that it is forbidden to chant uh, one or the other. And when we say one is higher than the other, also, what's the implication? Because you may say, well, if that's the case, Haridas Thakur would have chanted only uh, Manasa Japa at every moment. But we see that he chanted the three types of it. So the point that chanting with the mind is superior, the, the implication is that, in one sense, everything is depending on our mind during Japa. If, if we are chanting Bachika or in an audible way, or through Upamsu, some murmuring, maybe we're, our mind may be there, or may not be there in the chanting. But if we are chanting with with our mind, Manasika or Manasa Japa, then there should there is no possibility of our mind going anywhere. And if 
you follow. I mean, if you are really, really chanting in your mind, that's the point, of course. You can think you are chanting in your mind, but you may be thinking someone, but if you are chanting in your mind, there's no possibility of going anywhere else, while your mouth may be chanting, but your mind may be somewhere else. So in that sense, is that Manasika Japa is emphasized, but again, it's not that if you are chanting some other Bachika or Upamsu, it's low quality Japa and I shouldn't do that. Each one will also f- see how it was. It works better for each one. Haridas Thakur again chanted of the three types, showing that there is place for all of them. All of them are legal, if you will. <laughs> so let's share some further ideas regarding chanting, uh, regarding the position or the asana for chanting. We spoke a little bit about that in our previous lecture. Uh, but we mentioned the idea of chanting in a seated position. Ideally, it should be done in, in, in a seated position, as we will share now some quotes. There are different positions, there are different asanas. I shared about the Padmasana, which is the Lotus Asana, but also I have been advised these days by a yoga teacher that also for some, especially Western people, uh, Padmasana in time, uh, tends to be not so healthy and tends to create some problems in one's leg. So another asana that is recommended in that case is one called the Siddha asana, which is similar, but the legs will go in a different position. Mm-hmm. So, for example, let me share what Hari Bhakti Vilas says in this regard, Sanatana Goswami. Mm-hmm. He says, one should avoid chanting mantras while talking, walking, lying down, remembering something else, sneezing, yawning, hiccuping, hiccuping, yes, or absent-mindedly. absent-mindedly. If one does so, his chanting will not bear any fruit. Therefore, one should be very careful to avoid these faults. One should not chant mantras with his shoes on while traveling in a vehicle, while lying on a bed, while spreading his legs, or while sitting in an unconventional position. <laughs> so again, with this I don't want to discourage any of, of you present here, which may feel that's too much, that's impossible. But I think it's important to also not relativize this type of statement too quickly. Sometimes some of the statements of Hari Bhakti Vilas we have relativized according to... <laughs> to our understanding of time, place, and circumstance. But I don't think this one is something that has to do with only Vedic culture and the society of the times during the Goswamis. But I think it has to do with trying to be in a quiet situation, in a quiet position, not doing something else. We have to go to the gist of this. Of course, as I mentioned, if you have some problem with your legs and you cannot sit on the floor, you can sit on a chair, you can sit on a, cou- on a cushion, on a couch, whatever. Mm-hmm. Or, or even regarding walking, here's another of some say try not to walk. The point is, again, walking is something else apart from the chanting. Something else is going on simultaneously and may divert your attention on some level. I, I wouldn't say um, it, it has no, I mean, your, your, to all your rounds you chanted walking had no meaning at all. But the point, try to go to the gist and, and the emphasis behind that. Some sad week walk may be there. You may be walking relatively slowly in a in a natural environment but also not being distracted by that of course if you are walking almost running in a passionate way in a totally rajasic tamasic environment for sure your japa will be affected at least unless we are paramahamsas 
So try to get the point. Try to to enter into the recommendation towards a sattvic environment. So as much as you are sitting, that will help. And again, all these things, we are sneezing, yawning. At that moment, you should stop your chanting for a minute. Not continue chanting while you are yawning or all, all that. But try to allow those bodily functions to express themselves. And then you can continue your, your chanting. Uh, of course, there may be exceptions to the rule. Again, if you have a, a flight uh, during 20 hours, you may have to chant some of your mantras on the plane. But again, those are exceptions to the rule. So we should separate between exceptions and the rule itself. So again, we may have some sad big walk, but if you also, you may get distracted by that as well. You can go to a very beautiful environment, but you will end up doing sightseeing more than japa. All this will have to do with your own sincerity. You try to examine on yourself how that is affecting you. Are you really, is that in, really increasing your absorption in your mantra? Palena Farishati, we judge a tree by its fruit. So if that's helping, I have no objection to that. But generally, the important thing here is that we do not create like, like a, if you will, a, a defensive system of, a, of excuses, that we very quickly have something to say to avoid doing what we know it's better, but it may be more challenging. So I know that for some it's, how to say more comfortable comfortable to be walking and running and, si- and speaking and singing here and there and chanting Japa, quote-unquote. <laughs> because you are not actually chanting, so that feels comfortable. Some, if you have only to sit, close your eyes, concentrate on the sound and chant while doing nothing else, that may be difficult. You may feel your mind agitated and, and sometimes you may wake up and start doing stuff and you feel... Oh, now the agitation disappeared and I'm chanting more nicely. But generally, in those cases, you are not chanting more nicely. Actually, you are more distracted, you are doing something else, and it feels more comfortable. So you think, my japa is going on more smoothly, if you will. But the point is that that relief you are feeling is because you stop chanting on some level, if you will. Some degree of quality and effort to concentrate is no longer necessary. Because we will, we have been distracted. So again, I don't want to point to to one person or the other. It's just about our own sincerity and our own introspection and really analyzing how these things play themselves out in our particular case, in each particular situation of our lives and so on. But I think this is an important point and it's nice to give some chance to, to properly sit. We have the famous... Uh, quote on tape by Srila Prabhupada, no, that generally it's, it's a tape where he's chanting Japa and some devotees are chanting also. And at one point of the tape, but that had to come the name of the tape, was eventually called like that. He said, sit properly. Mm. So Prabhupada said that to one of the devotees who I imagine he was sitting and maybe he was like kind of lying and curving or I don't know, going here and going there and moving too much or extending legs or who knows, falling asleep. <laughs> So many things can happen. So Prabhupada says, sit properly. So with, with your you know, back in a straight. And again, this is, may not be easy. Try to find a proper couching, an asana. Prabhupada will say these three things generally. He will say, try to sit properly, good posture. Try to hear, if you are not chanting manasika, try to hear attentively what you are saying. My Guru Mahesh will say that also. Try to hear the name. Just try to hear the name. What Srinam has to tell you. Do not be so eager about telling Srinam 
all the things you want, all the things you need, all the things you pray for, but try to give an ear, lend an, your ear. It's an, an interesting way. Instead of thinking, I am chanting, you will, we will position yourself like, I am hearing what Srinam has to tell me. So we are not the, the main character, if you will, of the movie. We are to be an instrument. So try to hear the name. It sounds easy. Instead of thinking about this and looking about that and visualis having a visualization here and there, because we sometimes may think, what should I think? What should I pray for? What should I look? What should... And sometimes the project is more minimalistic. Prabhupada will say that. When someone will ask, what should I be thinking? He say, give your mind a rest and do not think about anything. But it doesn't mean be brain dead. Just, just concentrate on the sound, understanding what's the sound and who is the sound. And hear and open yourself not to try to control the situation. Because sometimes it has a lot to do with controlling. I am the one who controls. I am the one who is thinking about something, who is directing the practice in the direction I want. Opposite to, I hear the name and I let myself be carried wherever Srinam wants to take me. So again, hearing atten attentively, sitting properly and good pronunciation as well. Good pronunciation. And again, for the chanting, ideally facing the altar, east direction. Also, I mentioned that. But good pronunciation is a good one also. Sometimes we may not be aware that we are mispronouncing the mantra. That happened to me. I have to share with you with full embarrassment, but I have to do it. <laughs> so I remember some years back, maybe one year back, when two years back, I was chanting Japa, and my Guru Maharaj came and said, you are not chanting completely all the syllables. And I was really like, Really? I mean, I felt I was doing that. I say, record yourself and hear yourself how you chant. And I did it. I chant the whole round. Of course, without without thinking I'm recording myself and I will do it perfectly, but almost forgetting that I was being recorded and I chanted. Then I heard the, the audio and I was totally shocked because I realized, oh my God, I'm not chanting all the syllables. Sometimes, yes, but sometimes it was just jumping over one syllable or one word, so I was basically chanting another mantra, if you will. <laughs> so that was interesting. Again, this is not just a technicality and, oh, I have to chant the proper syllables, but also we want to pronounce the mantra as it is, basically. That's how it's uh, described in the Shastra. We find the Maha Mantra in the Kala Santara and Upanishad, and before the mantra share, what was that this scripture says? It is Sodasakam Nam Nam. Kali So that the very first line say Iti Shodasakam Nam Nam. This nam this name is made of sixteen words. And then sir, this this particular mantra of sixteen words is the method for Kali Yoga and so on. But it measures these sixteen words. So sometimes you we may be singing, chanting less than sixteen words, and so that's another mantra, if you will. So, or sometimes we do sing the 16 words, but half of them are half syllable and, and cut or who knows what. I've heard, apart from myself, because generally you may be able to hear how others are chanting badly and you don't realize your own situation. <laughs> My was there also, but sometimes I heard the devotees doing the same, jumping over words and syllables. So I think it's important to keep that in track. So that, that refers also to remaining a sad big thing because you can really become... Rajasic and chant quickly, or maybe wanting to finish your quota, but you end up chanting again something else, something more, or something less. I will say. <laughs> <laughs>
So I invite you all, I invite you all to that exercise as well. It's quite epiphany-like, if you will. If you have the courage to do so and be willing to accept whatever comes at the outcome. <laughs> and also I will say not only check how, we should not only check how do we pronounce Srinam, but also how we are passing the beats. Mm-hmm. Because we can also be passing more beats than what we are chanting or less beats than what we are chanting. Also that can happen. You follow my point. You can be chanting one full Maha Mantra and you pass two beats. Or you can chant two full Maha Mantras and you pass one beat. That can happen also. So in that case, instead of recording yourself, <laughs> you can film yourself passing the beats, chanting one round without the Malika for that case and record yourself and, and also record your voice so you, after that you can see the video and see how you are passing the beats and how you are pronouncing mm-hmm. as homework if you will we, we accept that as a homework and next class you can share your your testimony if it's too embarrassing you can share in private message private talk and if not you can share it publicly but I think it's a nice way again with this I don't want to get the thing too mechanic mechanical because I remember once I shared that homework with some devotees and say but the important thing is the attitude and the love and not how how to count and how to pronounce the syllables and I, I understand I, I agree but the point is if you have proper attitude you will want to do things properly you want to chant the mantra fully correctly and so on mm-hmm. and generally again behind this proper attitude uh, sutra if you will slogan sometimes we try to hide our own failure our own lack of concentration or our own faults if you will so if you are willing to do so next lecture we can share the result of it so again it's important to take care of the things the mood how we chant the posture that we have because if not the gunas are still there not in Srinam but in our own life yet so during Japa you can see the example the the, the different influences of the guna so regarding the posture that we were speaking before, we could say that, for example, to sit down and try to sit quietly, it will be sattvaguna. Not necessarily transcendence yet, but that helps us to enter into that direction. So sattvaguna tries to convey, uh, sitting, sorry, posture tries to convey sattvaguna, so that helps the mind to be focused in one direction, if you will. Maybe walking and running, what to do, what to say, and things or doing stuff is more Rajaguna-like. That creates certain agitation, some distraction, some movement, something else apart from what I've been doing. So the mind can go in different directions, multi-branched maybe. And an example of Tamaguna, maybe chanting and falling asleep. I've seen that many times. <laughs> and, and, and we chant and not chant and fall asleep and come back and... But actually we are somewhere else, if you will. So the idea with all of this is try to make an effort. It's not just... Japa won't happen automatically. It's not just pressing a button and that's done. I'm there. No. We have to really voluntarily invest our will, our time, our present moment into trying to make an effort. Again, it's not easy. I'm not saying you will sit your mind will naturally flow towards the, the, the sound the sound vibration and, and, and you will be totally focused in Sri Radha Krishna. That will happen eventually. But first to reach such a level of 
absorption, as Srila Rupa Goswami will say, He's praying, give me thousands of years, thousands of tongues, when I chant these two syllables, Varnam Dwai, Krishna, I receive so much nectar that I feel two years are not enough, one tongue is not enough. That will be the final converging point of our chanting. But in order to reach there, we need to take advantage of the mercy that came, further mercy, and for that we need to make an effort. As my Guru Maharaj will say, we have to make an effort in order to obtain mercy. That's not so easy. In order to beg for, for mercy and to feel ourselves in need of mercy, we need to make an effort to recognize our present condition, to recognize our situation, our needy situation, to be humble enough to, to really accept and, and beg for that mercy. It's not a cheap thing to beg for mercy. It's not that we can do it naturally. It, it re- generally, as conditioned souls, it requires some effort. So the question is, are we really making that effort? Or could we make a better effort than the one we are making? Because it's not black and white. It's not, I'm making an effort, I'm not making it. So we have to be sincere and maybe re- probably realize, I could do it better, but I'm not doing so. That thing that I'm not doing, that's keeping me from changing for the better, maybe that's the reason why I'm feeling whatever disturbance in the present moment. Recently, I have these days some exchange with, with my Guru Maharaj. I was <clears throat> sharing him one question regarding whatever, no problem. The destiny of certain practitioners that were more of that would get some type of merging into Prakriti Nirvana. I don't want to divert the topic. But the point is, these were like kind of Buddhist practitioners or this kind of yogis that are really making extreme effort because their paths are not that much of grace as ours in Bhakti, but of personal effort. And they really make an effort. I mean, you cannot believe the things they, they do. So basically, he's... He, he sent me an answer, it was quite simple, but really struck me, you know, like ten, took me to reflect on my own situation. You know, because he said, okay, you see all these yogis making such big effort to merge into Prakriti, or let's say to merge into Brahman, to merge somewhere, and we, he says, should be doing that same effort for Chetudarpana Marjana, to begin with, for cleaning the mirror of our Chitta. No, it's not that, oh no, these yogis are making this effort because their path is not the one of grace. We are part of the path of grace, so we do not need effort. That's not like that. If you really understand how undeserving is the grace you are receiving, how how less you deserve that grace, you should really be so moved that we will try to reciprocate with the best of your effort. Even you should be, we should be doing more effort than those yogis which are so seriously threatening their respective paths. So we shouldn't abuse, the point is, the principle of grace. It's not a cheap thing. So we should need to make an effort, and that will put us out of the comfort zone. I remember one Christian saying that, he said, if it's not pinching you, then you are not giving. Real giving has to pinch on some level, of course, some sustainable level, no neurosis. But if it's not pinching, if it doesn't pinch, you are not giving, and you are not receiving what you need. So all this has to be expressed in in the context of japa. It requires time, 
It requires effort to concentrate the mind, to place, pay, pay attention. Mind will be going somewhere else. There you have a chance to realize the nature of your mind now, to pray for higher mercy, to realize I'm so fallen and so needy, so vulnerable, and to pray with more sincerity, with more humility, you'll receive, receive further empowerment, mercy, inspiration. The mind will go eventually, and in this way, gradually, you will be able to go through higher even stages of chanting. <clears throat> so it takes time. Do not expect just sitting and and, and say, Krishna, give me mercy and, and, and seeing the divine couple in, in some months. And actually, Hari Bhakti Vilas, there is one quote in connection to to Japa that I like, Sanatana Goswami say, one who has attained perfection by chanting his mantra will begin to see wonderful things after the ninth year of his practice. So my point is, even he's speaking about how someone who attained perfection. So after nine years of that, you will see wonderful things. So what to speak if I have not attained perfection? So the point is not to discourage someone, but to understand, be patient. Mm-hmm. And this is not something cheap. There's, you have to give yourself. And as much as you give yourself fully, there will be reciprocation. As much as you really have faith, that there's someone else on the other side. <laughs> You're having a dialogue with someone. As much as you act as if Krishna is real, basically, okay, he will show in a real way t- to you. So we need to invest more and more ourselves in this practice. So let's continue with some other more, if you will, practical tips. These were, of course, some of, some of them connected to some practicality, but also with inner conception and attitude of what we are doing during Nam Japa. But regarding some practical tips and how to re- properly respect hmm, one's Chapa Mala, one Malika, sometimes called the beat bag, one of them will be, and I think it's obvious, but just in case I will share it, you should not place, we already say, try to keep your Malika hidden in a sacred place, a special place, not anywhere. So do not place, in other words, your Malika in the floor, for example, where everyone else is walking on. It's not a clean place. Or even, do not place your malika on a chair where others are sitting eventually. Mm-hmm. But again, try to... And if, if it falls to the floor accidentally, generally what we do is we take it back and we put it on our head. Mm-hmm. Like, re- remember, reminding to ourselves, this is something sacred. And somehow begging forgiveness for the mistake we have committed. Mm-hmm. Acknowledging the sacredness of it. So again, this is common sense, at least for me, hopefully for you too. So we should we should be careful about where we're putting that. And in the connection of putting our Malika to the ground, and I think I already shared this, but I'm worthy of repeating, one will engage in an apparat to the prayer beats, to this Japa Mala, if you're putting them to the ground, for example, while paying obeisances. Because you are putting them to the floor. Or if you are, as I mentioned, you are chanting while driving your car. You are touching your Japa Mala or your Malika to the steering wheel or the gear g- shift while driving. Again, this is, these are sacred tools. They are not toys. We should really understand that. This, this bit we are using are Tulasi, sacred Tulasi. I won't enter into the details of the glory of Tulasi. But we we should really conceive what we have in our hands, Tulasi, in our necks as well, of course. 
Srimati Tulsi Devi extending herself, Brinda Devi herself, the one who is organizing all details in, in the Lila, coming to our life to organize, hopefully, also our life in the context of getting closer and closer proximity to the Lila. For example, Hari, both Hari Bhakti Vilas and Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu mentioned, going back to putting the Malik on the floor, 32 Seva Parats. I will share some of them when we speak about Archana, mm. uh, which may be Seva Parats, like off, ritual offenses, mainly offenses when worshipping Srimurti, the deity. And one of them is Ikahasti Pranam, which means offering obeisances with one hand. Mm. We also spoke before about the obeisances, the Pranam. And the two main ways, the Sastango, Panchanga, both hands go to the floor. But the point if you are chanting Japa, Generally, you are putting one hand to the floor, which is an offense, and you're putting your malik on the floor, which is another offense. So you are engaging in two offenses simultaneously by doing that. <laughs> so again, do not do that. And that in that case, take your malik out and put offer pranam with two hands, and then go back. If you have your malika on your neck, sometimes what sometimes the to do is if you offer dandavat or pranam, they put their malika on their head and they offer pranam so it doesn't touch the floor and they can put their two hands also while offering pranam mm -hmm. also try not to touch your japa mala with your left hand as we mentioned that's a hand conceived for cleaning the body and things like that uh, also when we are chanting in our malika do not use your right forefinger here I have mine just to show you of course as you may know in the malika you have one hole for the forefinger to go out, index finger you call also. We will explain why this is going out also. Do not touch your malik as we mentioned with your uh, with dirty hands. Mm. Clean your hands before chanting even if you have had your morning bath in case your hands are not clean before chanting you should clean them. And while chanting as I also mentioned do not touch uh, your mouth, do not touch your nose do not touch your feet, do not touch your private parts while chanting, do not do anything else apart from chanting. <laughs> Basically that's the idea. Another point that is important is to understand that our bead pack, our malika, is not a wallet. Sometimes I've seen the boats keeping inside the japa mala but also money and keys and whatever is going on there. I've seen even the boats sometimes wearing some keys in their upavita, no? like a key keeper, but it's not for that. <laughs> of course, sometimes the Malika has one little pocket, as you can see, mine has most have nowadays, but this was not used in the, in the before. No? This is more like a Western thing, I would say. And I don't know, maybe you can keep that some sacred item, like a remnant of the deity of your guru, some sacred thing that accompanies your japa mala but not putting I don't know bank bills or coins or stuff like that use another pocket for that because you are putting dirty stuff if you will money for example externally speaking cannot can never be cleaned and it's coming and going it's not the proper place to keep it with your sacred tools beads and so on and also needless to say try to wash your malika as much as possible try to Keep it clean, if you will. Silas Siddhar Maharaj in his mat always asks his devotees to to wear to use white malikas. Why? Because, of course, many reasons. But one of them was, if your malika is not clean, 
that will be very easily detectable. You will realize it's not clean because it's white. Now, if you are using a black malik, of course it can be, you never have cleaned that in years and nobody will notice that. And also, the white has many reasons. Generally, we will see that Vaishnavas are using Gaudiya Vaishnav white malikas. One of the Bhaktisiddhanta Sarabhati will say that the white represents the color of the Paramahamsas, like the sacred order, like the one the Goswamis were using. So he say we offer, we have, we keep that white color, that order above our heads. So we we will envelop our Japamala in that way. We we hope to follow in the steps of the Paramahamsas. That may be one one reason. Of course, white also has to do with purity. And again, you should keep it clean. Also, if you are using malikas with different designs, pictures of Krishna, pictures of your guru or samacharya, again, what happens is sometimes you put it somewhere or you clean it and, and you start like to move it and, and it's the face of them there in Krishna. So at least personally, again, I'm not establishing a rule here, but personally I, I choose not to use those designs, whether in my malika or in a t-shirt or anywhere, because again, sometimes you have putting that in certain way of places that may not I may not feel comfortable with that. But the point again is to try to keep it clean, try to keep it hidden also. So generally sometimes it's, again as Sanatan Goswami said, Malika Gopayet Nija Malikam. Try to hide your Malika. Sometimes the Vaishnava also chant Japa by covering their not only their Japa Mala with their Malika, but their Malika with some cloth, whether a chatter or, or, or whatever. I mean, again, it's like trying to help us in the direction of this is a very confidential issue. Mm. Not necessarily has to be done like that in every single sense, and if because if not, you are doing apparat. I'm not saying that, but it may help to our meditation. Mm. What else? Let me share some further ideas before finishing. Some words regarding the beats, mm, the beats we are using in themselves. So Hari Bhakti Vilasa speaks about different types of beads, different types of japa mala. Mala, as I mentioned, means garland. And so a garland for engaging in japa, in this particular meditation. So we are using a, bead, a japa mala of 108 uh, beads, which is a very a usual number that tends to, if you will, symbolize, represent divinity. Astotrasat, when we invoke the names of great personalities, we precede them with this number. And in Hari Bhakti Vilasanatan Goswami speaks about three types of Japa Mala according to different sites Uttam, Madhyam, and Kanishta. <laughs> he says the Uttam Japa Mala consists of 108 bits, the one we use in Gaudiya Vedanta. The Madhyam Japa Mala consists of 50 bits, actually. And Kanishta Japa Mala consists of 25 bits. And also he mentions different materials for the Japa Malas, Rudraksha and jewels and this and that, and different merits that you can attain connected to chanting in each of them. If you chant with this Japa Mala, you have 10 times merit in comparison to that one, and with this one, 10, 100 times merit of that one. But again, there is some relative consideration there, some, some type of, if you will, promoting certain ideas that may be more in the context of Barnashram system of the time and not so much with the Gaudiya ideal of Uttam Bhakti. Mm -hmm. Even Sanatana Goswami in that context to further emphasize 
the relativity of some sections of Hari Bhakti Vilas, and I appreciate that as well, of course, in context. He will mention, he will speak about different types of beats for different purposes in chanting. Interesting. Like he will speak about chanting for subduing your enemies, chanting for controlling others. <laughs> and of course, we will say, well, that's, that's not the purpose of our chanting. But he's mentioning that, like implying there's people who will do that. And he will, they want to know how to do that. So he mentions that there. Different miles for that. We want to be controlled. Of course, our proper chanting will eventually control Krishna by the force of bhakti. But of course, what he was mentioning there has to do in another way. Of course, we want to subdue some enemies, our own mind and so on. But what Sanatana Goswami was mentioning there was more in the relative context. Again, Barnashram society of the time, not our school, if you will. Of course, he also speaks about the Gaudiya conception of chanting, which Japamala. So we use, again, an Uttam Japamala, 108 beats made of Tulsi, and we chant, of course, with the purpose of surrender and begging for service to Sri Sri Adan Krishna through the medium of Sri Guru and the Vaishnava and so on. And how do we chant? As, as you may know, but already, just in case, I will show you very briefly. No, so we will chant mm, uh, from with our. Let's imagine that I have my hand inside my malika here. You have the 108 bits and one extra bit that is generally this one with some extra cloth there, called the sumeru. Sometimes the head, head bead, if you will. So one should not cross over this sumeru. Sometimes representing Krishna. So we will start with the bigger beats. Generally you have bigger and gradually they get smaller. So we'll start with the bigger beats and generally we will use these two fingers. Not the index finger, but we'll use the thumb basically. And now I will share some words. On the middle finger or maybe the thumb on the ring finger you call. basically, And you end the whole round. Um, when you reach there, you do not walk over, if you will, the Sumeru mountain, but you go back, backwards, if you will, chanting the, the next round. And something that is also recommended, of course, depending on how many rounds you chant per day, but in case you happen to chant four or more, eight, twelve, sixteen, generally the recommendation is Japa will be best done in grantis. So grantis means like multiples of four. So it means in 4, 8, 12, 16, sometimes we hear 32, 64, 2 times 64, 3 times 64. But generally, all these are granted, are multiples of 4. Again, each case is particular. In some cases, we have seen Guru might say to the disciple, at least try to chant one nicely. Of course, at least. That's not, that's the topmost limit. So that is to be arranged with one's Guru. But regarding, as I mentioned before, the, the how to chant and the mind and the finger and the mind as well. Sila Hari Bhakti Vlasanatan Goswami he mentioned that while chanting within the mind or some other way, one should hold a bit with the thumb and the ring finger while chanting softly. One should hold a bit with his thumb and middle finger also. Now these are the options. These two, this and this. With this and this is not mentioned, it's not too practical. And this finger, as we know, as I mentioned, will be out, will be outside of the Malika. Tanatan Goswami points that there. He says, never use the index finger while chanting. Hmm? 
the thumb, and then he says interestingly, the thumb awards liberation, the index finger destroys enemies, the middle finger awards wealth, the ring finger is suitable for averting a calamity and attaining peace, and the little finger awards one the fulfillment of his desires. So we are trying to not to destroy enemies in one sense, outside enemies, but we may use the other fingers, not trying to obtain liberation, which for us is not mukti, is bhakti. That's a real liberation, mukti, bhakti. Hmm? The wealth of prem, golokar, premadan, hmm? attaining peace, well, uh, real peace for us is peace and love, it's not peace altogether, <laughs> only, only peace, hmm? and so on. So, but generally index finger will go out. Hmm? So sometimes the question is why the forefinger or index finger is going out. Well, generally, and, 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 and for me it makes sense, beyond this idea of generally the index finger here is connected to destroying enemies, it has to be with the pointing, you know? Pointing others. The principle, I will say, is that. Pointing others. The enemy is outside. I have to destroy them. Instead of pointing. Now, as the saying goes, when you point with this finger to one person, you have three fingers pointing to you, back to you. So, <laughs> so the point is, you should be really attentive to your own self. As when once Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta said, we should deal with every uh, wrath, wrath, anger should be expressed in the context of the enemies of Krishna. And then he said, but first we should ask ourselves, am I not an enemy of Krishna yet? In that, in that sense, I should point to that enemy if you will, let the mind out of control. So pointing others, accusing, criticizing, prejudice, gossip, all this unending flow of um, possibilities that are really delicate. Interestingly, the other day I was reading one book that they were describing that the word Satan, that in Christianity refers to the devil, if you will, Satan, Satan. Etymologically speaking, Satan means the accuser. So that's a good point. I mean, we are not that free of that, if you will, <laughs> the accuser. Mm? Mm? So, and, the, and recently I also was reading one article about gossiping, uh, how it's so unbecoming for devotees, and how, and it has to do with this finger again, because you are supposed to be chanting. The point is, while you are chanting, you are not supposed to be thinking in terms of other enemies, apart from your own enemies, and engaging in Chetodarpana Marjanam, and not pointing the other's fault not gossiping, not even in your mind, what to speak, while chanting in your mind, thinking about faults of others, Gramya Katana Sunive, Gramya Vartana Gahive, says Mahaprabhu to Raghunadas. Do not speak gossip, do not hear gossip. And this is not so easy. In this article I was reading, a, a remarkable point was made, which was, generally the devotees do not take intoxication, in the form of, I don't know, wine and beer, and cigarettes, and pot, and cocaine, and whatever, what not. But, so the point is, okay, they do not indulge in that, but they may have some cold turkey, if you will, in that connection. So how, did, how, do, how to dovetail, if you will, that, they may end gossiping. And that becomes a form of intoxication, if you will. Because generally when one uh, embraces intoxication, it's a way of... Uh, being evasive about certain things, distracting oneself, finding relief from one's suffering, 
So similarly, gossip is like that. I'm criticizing others so to feel better with myself. Quote unquote. I'm distracting from my own faults. And it's a form of intoxication. I become addicted to that. It becomes like a drug. So it's not so easy to say, I'm not doing any intoxicants. I'm not taking this and that and that. If you are not gossiping, I believe you fully. <laughs> because we may not take all of the other intoxicants, but we might be overindulging. Indulging in gossiping. That's already overindulging. So this finger outside is there to remind us of this very important principle, which is a great, solid, powerful foundation for our chanting. So some ideas that also are connected, of course, of the inner attitude about how to chant. And um, next class we will continue speaking more in detail about Sankirtan. And in the context of Sankirtan, we will continue stressing this latter point uh, regarding congregational chanting and group cooperation and practicing with others. And of course, you can imagine if gossiping is there, there won't be any Sankirtan at all. Even your finger may be here, there, playing with <laughs> So some ideas I wanted to share today with you. Uh, and we can give some place for questions. If you have any questions, I will unlock the option of unmuting so you can present whatever you have. Yes, Mahar. Yes, Mahar. I, have, I have a confession, too. Like, I was... Um, find others were not hearing the mantra and so I thought well maybe I'm doing that too and I recorded myself and found that I was also missing um, an, uh, a name actually my husband pointed it out to me you're missing something and so I thought well I need to record myself and listen to that so I found it but then I also still have a problem with moving my beat I didn't I don't remember having this problem in the earlier days but now I have a problem I go too slow on the beats, you know, like I'll, I know I'm chanting more than I'm chanting, but I move really slow on the beat, and I've tried taking my beads out of my, my japa bag, and, and I still can't do it, so I know it's, it's probably inattentiveness, because if I was truly attentive, I wouldn't have that problem, so I'm just wondering how can I um, get better with that? Hmm. So, I wouldn't say that you are necessarily doing that in a very slowly way. I don't know what's slow, what's quick, it's relative. Because sometimes also this question is how much, which speed we should have in the chanting? How, how long should it take to chant around? And there's no like definite answer to that. Of course, not an hour <laughs> and not two minutes. Because sometimes I've heard that about this chanting they say, I, I'm chanting 64 rounds in, in, I don't know, in three hours. And I say, I do not believe you. I mean, I, you cannot chant that much so quickly. I mean, I don't know what you are chanting, some other mantra, whatever. So, but also the opposite. If you get too slow, too slow, that may tend to be some inertia affecting that, if you will, some tamasic influence. So I'm not saying you are doing one or the other, but one should try to chant in a rhythm Mm, that is really keeping one attentive mm, to one what one is supposed to be doing at that moment and and also some point that regarding chanting sometimes I see the devotees having like the beat back and the malika and when they are chanting I won't do that because I don't like it but they start like to shake no like the malika to really I don't know trying to turn the malika out and making something appear 
And that's also not, not so healthy. I mean, it has nothing to do with the chanting in itself. There's no need for you to be moving you know, your hands like this and shaking the portal as Devi. So it's like, try to be as sattvic as possible. Of course, there may be symptoms of Rajaguna trying to express itself here and there. Or maybe even if you are sitting, you may be like moving and moving like this and this and that. And ideally, they I mean, all that are external symptoms that internally it's difficult to keep <laughs> quiet, but at least it should make us aware that uh, what's our present situation, not to get discouraged, but to acknowledge that and take the necessary steps and make it gradual. This is a gradual process. There is no like perfect formula that in one week and you will be doing that perfectly. Even at some point, if you are chanting and you feel it's I'm too agitated or for whatever reason, of course, you can stop for a while and go back later. It's not that you have to chant, I don't know, all your rounds in a row also that may help you can chant in different sittings if you will according to your timings again if you can chant all together it's nice also because sometimes it takes some time to enter into the mood if you will you chant one two three and you start to churn more and more the chanting and if you chant one now one after one hour one after one hour that may be a little bit more diluted but it depends <clears throat> one's timing for example, I remember Srila Bhakti Pramapuri Maharaj, he used to chant one lakh per day. And he said, well, you can chant, it's easy, you chant 16 rounds in the morning, 16 rounds after breakfast, 16 rounds after lunch, and 16 rounds after dinner. And you have the 64 rounds along the day. <laughs> and of course, he had the time for doing that, and he had the taste for doing that. But for most of us, both things are maybe not there in the topmost degree, so we may think, oh, maybe, but... I chant 16 after lunch, but that's two hours maybe or more, <laughs> and two hours more, and at the end of the day it's like eight hours or more. So not everyone has that time, and not everyone has the the capacity of that, the mental energy, the physical energy. So again, we are to be honest about everything, everything, our present situation, and real honesty also imp includes the desire to to improve my, my my present condition also it's not just okay i'm fully honest this is my present situation so do not ask more than for me no i'm fully honest I mean this is my present condition but i want to make myself better so i open myself to that in a sustainable level so uh, i mean again do not be discouraged just try to chant as much as you can in your uh, the way that you feel it's better for you and, and it's not a matter of being too quick, too low, and try to do it as, as you feel it, it's really working. And that will be a different answer for for every for every devotee. You know? Okay, I hope that helps, Mahara. And I don't know if there is any other question. Thank you. Thank you. I have a question, Maharaj. Yes, Brigupan. Dandavat Pranam. Um, I wonder if you know anything about this uh, this system of chanting. You 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 briefly mentioned it, or, or maybe maybe mentioned it. In in Radhakund, there seems to be a system of, of chanting where one uh, one uh, sixteen uh, or sixty four rounds takes about two hours. Two hours. Uh, yes, I've I've heard many devotees. Uh, <clears throat> say this that 64 rounds takes two hours and of course it's completely different from the kind of chanting we're doing and uh, Guru Maharaj uh, sometimes explains that uh, the way Haridas Thakur was chanting when he was doing doing three lakhs 
that means that he was doing chanting 24 hours a day. So that one lakh would take about eight hours. But I wonder if you know anything about how this system has developed of mm -hmm. one lakh in, in two hours. Yeah, to be honest, I, I've heard about that as well. Uh, and of course, first time I heard that, I was surprised because I kind of, I mean, for me to chant six, 16 rounds takes more than two hours. In my personal case, it takes two hours and a half approximately. So what to speak of chanting 64 rounds, which is four times that in two hours. It's like, uh, I wonder, and I know some devotees, I know some devotees that may, some breathing exercise and they breathe in a certain way that they chant, they do not interrupt that much their chanting with their in-between breathings, or they may breathe, they may chant when they are breathing, taking, inhaling, and exhaling. But again, for me, that's not something that it saves you so much time that now you chant one lakh in two hours. And I spoke recently and, 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 and with one devotee of mine, well, well known, who lives in Radhakund. And, and he, I mean, I didn't ask him about that. I may ask him. And, but he does, doesn't agree that you can chant a lakh in two hours. He was kind of joking. He said, a lack in two hours, which, which, which lack is that? What are you chanting? He was like imitating something like it's totally. So he was not too much in agreement with chanting that much in that small period of time. And of course, this whole idea of the lack, you, you mentioned that. Let me brief, briefly mention some brief words about that because sometimes this idea, you have heard about that. A lack, 64 rounds, a prescribed number of rounds. This is, the, this is it. Mm. And we have to change this quote. And sometimes in the boat is really like being so passionate about finishing that legal quota. They start chanting while wandering and doing, combining Japa with other things and engaging again in Pramada Japa in inattentiveness. Mm. And that's really dangerous. Of course, it's very nice to chant a lack properly. But if you are doing that superficially, you may get into a mechanical daily routine or you can even make, become proud of your high quote of chanting and of course, if price coming, the whole sacrifice is lost because it becomes little more than a pious activity. Or generally, devotees really actually often lack ruchi, the necessary ruchi, ruchi and spiritual energy to chant 64 rounds. It kind of becomes a torture or attachment to the number. Or And, and of course, what to speak is something completely impracticable for a busy householder or even for a sadhu who is renunciant and living with his guru and is very busy in Guru Seba, turning the deities, serving the Vaishnav, serving, I don't know, the cows in the Goshal. <laughs> that will take most of your day. And, and as we mentioned, quantity does not warranty quality. It's not like karma yoga that the more you do, the better. Balabhacharya said once that, he said like, it is not a huge amount of sadhana that will please Hari as, it, as, it, as if it is karma. It works like that. He says it's only the devotee's humility that can satisfy her. But again, unfortunately, in some groups, it becomes like a social must to chant 64 rounds. So the point is also social pressure is there. So what quality will come from having to perform it under social pressure? And what will be the motivation of the chanter in such social circumstances? And on the opposite, we have devotees that do not... I, I've, I've known devotees who even sometimes they chant but not a fixed round, a fixed number, but they say, I will chant for two hours. And they are not counting the rounds, like trying to focus in chanting and not in the counting. That may be a, a way. 
But if you get overtly attached, and sorry if I, it seems I'm diverting with this topic, but I think it's an important one, to the number and enchanting the lag, you may develop some bhajananandi ego, if you will, and you will find another devotee and ask how many rounds you are chanting and just judging the other for the number. Of course, you can go to the other extreme and develop a goshtianandi ego and say, oh, you are just doing bhajan, you are thinking only of your own liberation, but I'm preaching, I'm saving others. <laughs> which of course will be a false accusation because if you are really doing bhajan, that's not done for your for mukti, for your own interest, but for Krishna's pleasure only. And we know Vaishnava reject liberation right at the onset. But even if that were true, the point is, it is not too humble to claim that you are so selfless that you are preaching instead of doing bhajan. And also one more mention, sorry that I extend with this, but what to do, Brigu made the point. Sometimes they say, but Mahaprabhu once says in Chaitanya Bhagavad that he will only eat in the house of someone who eats, who eats, sorry, who chants a lakh, who is a lakshashwar. That's the pressure, you, you know about that. So again, that comes the point. If you are not chanting a lakh, some may say Mahaprabhu is not accepting your offering or whatever. <laughs> but also in that quote and in that context, that section, Mahaprabhu also has to say sometimes he will all, anyway only eat from Brahmins. There are sections... This is clearly written in the Chaitanya Bhagavad. So since all of us mostly are not even Hindus at all, let alone Brahmins, will Mahaprabhu not eat from us, you think? <laughs> and also I will say in, in that 16th century, maybe the Brahmins may not have had a very heavy 9 to 5 job with hours uh, to commute in time, to add it to it. So, so that's another thing also, you know, social dynamics. And again, what you mentioned. Someone may say, well, but I can chant it. I, I don't have eight hours free from that, but I will chant my lag in three hours or in two hours. But again, chanting what? No, which which mantra will be that? Again, doing one lag mostly takes eight hours, I will say. And again, the question will be whether Mahaprabhu, even if the all the above requirements are met, will Mahaprabhu eat from a person who chants under social pressure, because of ego, without attention, so eventually attitude is, is the all in all. But thank you for your point that took me to share some words about this idea of the lack, because I know that that's also something that can, comes there. But I will we will do some further research about the, the two-hour lack method. <laughs> Not because I'm interested in that, but just to, to know if they have, which is their conception of that or whatever. Okay. What else? Something else? I have a question, Maharaj. Um, Archon City, yes. You were saying, I, I didn't catch, I feel it was Sanatana Goswami who said that after perfection, and it'll take nine years and something very wonderful, well, you'll experience something very wonderful. So, um, what is, what would be the definition of perfection? <clears throat> well, Sanatana Goswami is not elaborating on that. He's basically mentioning that. Uh, I don't know, Brigu, but if you have done some further research in Hari Bhakti Vlas in that connection, you would like to share something in that connection? Please. Well, uh, in the Hari Bhakti Vilasa, Sanatana Goswami is actually not speaking about Japa in uh, the sense that we are thinking about it generally. When he's speaking, uh, writing about Japa, he's writing about uh, 
meditating on either uh, Gopala Mantra or then Kama Gayatri. So mm-hmm. it's 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 what we would call Gayatri mm-hmm. Japa. Uh, but there is a process called Mantra Purascharana, which is described in the 17th chapter of the Harivakti Vilasa, which is a, a kind of uh, ascetic process of, of uh, uh, keeping silent, chanting uh, basically from morning to evening, taking bath three times a day, doing fire sacrifice, doing water offerings, feeding Brahmins. Uh, and the, the idea of this uh, procedure, which usually takes, I think, a month, is uh, to achieve uh, uh, perfection in a mantra. So that's kind of the idea is that the mantra will then after that be be alive and it will be fully fully functional. And this is something that is uh, uh, rarely practiced in Gaudiya Vaishnavism today. But it's interesting that Jagannath Das Babaji, uh, he he did this mantra Purascharana, and he used to say to his disciples that if you want to have darshan of Gornita, you should do this. Mm-hmm. I haven't, unfortunately, but uh, it would be nice to try it. So mm. that's what I can say about that. Okay, thanks for sharing. And I should I should add to that, of course, if we want to, if you will, with with the permission of Sanatana Goswami and Brigupada, <laughs> to overextend the the example to, to the practice of Japa regarding the Maha Mantra, it's, it's a similar idea. When we speak about attaining perfection in the mantra, generally the conception is you will attain darshan of the of the Istadevata of the mantra. You have the darshan of the deity that is representing that particular mantra. So again, that may take considerable time, whether it's Purasharan or whatever method. So I, I, I took that, that statement in the context I presented basically to imply that you don't take this cheaply and think that this will happen in this particular time, that particular time, and to emphasize the, the point of personal effort in the practice because it's not something that sometimes we, again, abuse the the notion of mercy and tend to become relaxed because we have so much mercy, the greatest quality of mercy coming from Mahaprabhu. <laughs> and that may be counterproductive if we are not really properly conceiving and appreciating that humbly. If you really understand the nature of that mercy, you will do your best effort. Once my Guru Maharaj said that, you act as if everything depends on your effort while actually knowing that everything mostly depends on mercy. <laughs> so I felt that's a good one. Yeah, I will try to act as if there is no mercy, if you will. But in the background, I really know almost everything is mercy. If I can make some effort, it's because of mercy, actually. So it's my, my trying of reciprocating that. Thank you so much for the contribution, Brigupat. I don't know if Abhinash has a question. I see there is one hand raised there. Uh, thank you, Maharaj. Maharaj, yeah. I have questions that uh, during uh, this, uh, you said uh, in this class that Manasa Japa uh, is, uh, is really powerful. Uh, but while we, like, suppose chanting Manasa Japa, that we are diverted. So, so it is better that we have to do, you know, murmuring. So we have mm. to hear what mm. we are chanting. That, mm. that is the best. Okay. Yeah. Personally, I will generally advise that. I mean, not everyone can chant Manasa Japa, Manasika Japa. I mean, you can try, and and of course that will take effort, as as with any other forms of Japa. It's not that any of the three will immediately work without your effort, but some of them may require further 
inner purity because again manasika japa is more connected to smaran to your inner body to full concentration in that subtle part and most of us may may feel that this is too much and sometimes that's why there's another way of chanting japa which is upamsu which is bachika <clears throat> so again i will say that if for someone uh, reciting the mantra only mentally is a, a little bit too much if you will <laughs> uh, you can resort to upamsu japa and if that is even too much you can resort to bachika and if that's even too much, you can leave your Japa Mal and engage in Sankirtan <laughs> with the devotees, no? And, 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 and obtain further purity and strength so you can go back to your Japa and, and be more purified and more fixed. That's what our Acharyas have recommended, yeah. Again, in a general way, each one in one specific case will find their own what works better for one. But fortunately, we have these options. It's not that... You only do it like this, and if it's not working, sorry, you are not, you are not for this. Now we have some options, but in a, even in, even on all of those options, we'll have to make some effort. It's not that I will look for the easiest one, so I don't have to, so I have to make the the less effort. So, but of course, you can try take the most difficult one and try to make your highest effort, and it may be too difficult to sustain. Also, so you have to really see how how much. You can sustain your practice doing your best effort, but at the same time not getting discouraged, for example. So having some result, really, that can nourish your enthusiasm. Okay, what else? Any other question? Here Tadas mentioned in the chat that one Maharaj from Russia established one school of Japa, and there I have heard about that fast chanting and the method is to see the mantra in your inner vision and not concentrate that much for your pronunciation but on the inner vision it's a very kind it's a kind of very jogic way and in that way it is possible to chant 64 in 2 hours okay let's see it, it may be possible of course if you are doing mentally you will be doing you may be able to do it faster and faster in time and as much as it works for you, no problem. No? The, but again, the problem, the point is, this is not just try to get faster and faster. It's not necessarily the the goal, if you will. No? Chanting as fast as possible, but in a way that you feel that's bringing you proper results, proper insights. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think we are done for today, if there are no further questions. So we will continue next... Um, next Monday with one more lecture, maybe one, maybe two, I don't know, Hopefully, I think one, we will continue speaking about this concept, but in this case in the connection of Sankirtan, Congregational Chanting. We already spoke about Diksha Mantras, Nam Japa, and also some advice regarding Vaishnava etiquette in the context of uh, Harinam Sankirtan. Thank you very much for your presence, Shila Gurudev Ki Jai, Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai, Shri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrind Ki Jai, Gaur Pramanda